0: Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Back on May twenty third, nineteen ninety seven, night of my high school graduation, a classmate invited me to attend church. It took a couple of months, but I finally accepted that invitation and I showed up in this room on a Sunday morning, and my life has not been the same since. I I firmly believe this because my life is a testimony of this, that there is no more powerful, powerful tool for getting people into this building than the personal invite of folks who go here. With that in mind, I'd like to introduce you to the kickoff challenge for homecoming. As you know, homecoming this year dovetails with a national emphasis called Back to Church Sunday, and so uh, so we've got a goal. We want to see over 400 people on our campus on Sunday, September the 15th, uh, and we are asking you to help with that. And the way we're going to do that is we need you to report the total number of personal invites that you make between now and September the 15th. And to make it a little more entertaining, the fan base who has the most invites between now and September 15th, I'm thankful I don't see any LSU Tigers here today, but oh, oh no, okay. (sighs) There are few. Uh the fan base that has the most personal invitations between now and September 15th, the staff will wear your team colors on September the 22nd. Amen. <laughs> Don't amen yet, brother. You got work to do. Uh, right now, it, it looks like that, uh, that there's a strong chance between crimson and red, but Orange, that light orange color, they can be kind of scrappy so uh, so that Tennessee might get motivated too. Um, so here's how it works. Only the little tear off on your bulletin. There's a little form there at the bottom where it's got a place for your name, your team, and the number of personal invites and you're uh, welcome to use that as a reporting tool um, what is a personal invite? Well, for example, if you have a thousand friends on Facebook and you go on Facebook and say, come to church on September 15th, you don't get a thousand personal invites for that. Now, if you put something on there and you engage one-on-one with somebody, that's a personal invite. Uh, you can count that. There are over 400 of these things laying around the the sanctuary. We kind of put them in every seat. This is a tool that is for you to use to go to your neighbor's house and talk to your neighbor, have discussions with your neighbor. If they're not there, this has got a little a little uh, perforated part there. You can tear that and you can hang it on their doorknob. On the back, there's a couple of blanks. You ought to put your name and your phone number on there, because this is a good chance to know your neighbor. And if they know that it's you and not just, I don't like being like the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses who just show up. Uh, Because again, how much do we love the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on our door? I kind of like it when they show up and I got time because that means I get to hang out with them. Um, And if nothing else, I get to keep them from my neighbor's house, which I think is a win too. Uh, We don't enjoy when they knock on our door on a Saturday morning. We've got things to do, places to go. Uh, We've got a million things to take care of. But if your neighbors know you, and know that you're the one who put that on their their door, then that increases the likelihood that we're going to be able to see them at some point in time at church on a Sunday morning. Now, if you've been getting into a fight with your neighbor recently, as long as you handled it well, that's fine. But if you got a little nasty with them, I'd prefer you not let them know you go to Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. (laughs) Unless you're going to apologize, and then that's okay. Now, somebody said, Preacher, what if people lie? Look, if you lying about the folks you invite into church, that's like a go-directly-to-hell card, okay? <laughs> if you're so excited to see me wearing some other color, orange or red or crimson, that you're willing to lie about the folks you invite to church, shame on you. <laughs> so I'm trusting that nobody's going to lie, okay? But if we get like, Five hundred Vanderbilt invitations. <laughs> okay, we we know where that came from. So if 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 so, just know that, and that's why we want your name on there. So you so if it's anonymous, it not it doesn't count. So we need to have a name so some smart aleck doesn't just say 500 for Georgia with no name. Uh, you got to put a name on there so we know that you're, you're telling the truth. But uh, we're excited about it. Uh, Matt is uh, upstairs with the kids. He's wearing uh, this color blue and orange as well. So he and I are going to tag team and, uh, and collect all the things that y'all don't take today. We're going to take them. So uh, if you want more, and I would tell you please take more when the service is done, look around. They'll be scattered about. Uh, every balcony seat had them, so if you need some more, please feel free to grab some more. We're going to have another tool in two weeks that will be available for you as well that's similar to the door hangers, but a little bit different, so, uh, so we'll, we'll give you those in a couple of weeks. as kind of a last-minute push to homecoming, uh, but I'm excited. I want to, I'd love to see this place packed and, and people standing in the back because there's no room, and I think we can do that. Uh, I think that, uh, I think that we, can, we can make that happen. So let's work together and see if we can make that happen, and let's invite folks to, uh, to come back to church on September the 15th. You guys got pretty motivated to wear this. Uh, let's get even more motivated to, uh, to point people to Jesus, okay? Uh, so let's talk about coveting. Now, the dictionary likes to defang the meaning of the word covet. Webster's first entry is simply this, to wish for something earnestly. Now, we use that word in that sense from time to time. For instance, if you're up against some difficult decision or you're anticipating some struggles in your life, it's not uncommon for us to say, I I covet your prayers. And when we say we covet your prayers, well, we're not violating the the 10th commandment by by coveting someone's prayers. We're wishing earnestly for someone to pray for us. The coveting that is prohibited in the Bible is a much more sinister form of coveting, and it arises out of a very dark place in our hearts. It is birthed out of discontent and jealousy and envy. Now, Webster's, in the second entry, begins to get to the point, says, to feel an inordinate desire for what belongs to another. It is that meaning that begins to get to the heart of the 10th commandment. However, it's not my job to preach the dictionary, so let's see what God has to say about the 10th commandment. We read about it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. It's a little bit longer than the other prohibitions, but it says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor shall you covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, I'm fully aware that some of you are probably coveting this beautiful shirt that I have on this morning. I'm hoping to wear it again on September the 22nd. <laughs> but just like last week, the commandment is, is, is it's deeper than, than just what we see on face value. And the other thing about coveting that we need to understand is that it, it takes some concerted effort on our part To avoid the sin of coveting. You may have walked through this, and I talked about this last week with the the prohibition against bearing false witness. You may have walked through this series on the Ten Commandments, and, and sure, you've never committed murder, and adultery is not on your radar screen, but you probably told a lie or two in your journey. The sin of coveting, though, is one that runs far more rampant in our society. As we were watching the football game last night, the only football game, by the way, that was on in the whole, state of, uh, the whole United States, one commercial stood out um, as a great, even if exaggerated, example of coveting. That commercial aired at least five times, if not more, and so this morning's sermon is brought to you by Purple, the mattress company. So if you act that way towards your neighbors and a new mattress, then we might need to talk a little bit after our service today. But let's dig into the 10th commandment and see how we can avoid the pitfalls of the sin of coveting. You know, the prohibition against coveting further confirms that God is not just concerned with sins of action, but he is concerned with sins of the mind as well. Now, Now, this has been the case all along. When we looked at commandments 6 and 7, we went to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus said this. You've heard it said, but I tell you. You know, murder and adultery, while they are certainly sins that occur in the flesh when Jesus preached them in in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he reminded us that these are sins of the mind as well. However we would have to acknowledge that the physical consequences of mind murder differs vastly from those of physical murder, as we would say the same thing about adultery. When we get to coveting, however, what we recognize is that coveting is a sin that lurks completely within the mind. Now, now certainly, coveting can result in some bad decisions, like peering in your neighbor's window when they're sleeping on their new mattress. But coveting never has to leave the mind in order for it to be determined to be sin, and this reminds us of what of why we are so desperately in need of the gospel. You know, when we when we realize how perfect God's standard is, we have to just be honest and say we don't stand a chance. Yeah, Sure, I can avoid killing somebody, and I can keep away from, from the act of adultery, but Lord, you're actually examining my thoughts. You're, you're testing what I have to, to think. How in the world can I possibly avoid coveting? In fact, when I think back over my life, you know, coveting is the first sin that I consciously remember as a child, a small child. Coveting is the very first sin that I consciously remember. I remember as a little boy, I had to be four or five. I remember as a little boy, my dad was putting together one of those plastic uh, battery operated power wheels things. He was putting it together for the neighbor. And as a little boy, I remember putting that thing together and thinking how badly that I wanted that to be mine. I was mad that it wasn't mine, that it was my neighbor's. And, and it, it had. I, I, was, I was very agitated by that. And, and while at the time I could not define that as coveting as an adult, and I look back over my life, I can see as even as a small child, coveting was something that I had perfected pretty early on. I didn't take a class. I didn't have to be mentored in the sin of coveting. Didn't even have to pick it up from television. It came really, really naturally. Now, did I go next door and commit grand theft auto and drive off in the little Jeep? Well, no. I didn't need to. But I do remember how badly I wanted it. You know, there's a lot of folks today that are looking at their actions, thinking, you know what, I've got it pretty well put together. I'm pretty decent. I'm buttoned up. No no criminal acts. Run a background check. I'm clean as could be. But when we begin to search our minds, we begin to find that there are things lurking there that remind us of how sinful we are. When the sins of our minds are exposed, there's no way that we can stand up to the judgment of a holy God. The other thing about coveting is, is it comes out of nowhere. Have you ever noticed that, that you could be minding your own business and, and a, a delivery truck drops off a new mattress at your neighbor's house and the next thing you know you get crazy eyes? Seriously, though. The, it comes out of nowhere. It hits us out of left field. You can be doing your thing, minding your business, and the next thing you know you've been sideswiped by this temptation to Covet. In Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul reflects on the nature of the law, specifically referencing the sin of coveting. He says in verse 7, What shall we say? Is the law sin? By no means. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin... Seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. When you understand what coveting is, you begin to realize that it's everywhere. You can't get away from it. it your coworker gets the promotion that you applied for. Coveting. You and your spouse get into an argument, and your friend and their spouse who hardly ever fight show up. Coveting. Your neighbors down the street got a new camper, a new boat, a new lawnmower. Fill in the blank for whatever it is that they got. They could have even got a new roof. Coveting. It comes out of nowhere. You didn't drive down the street looking for it. You weren't looking for that new camper to show up in their driveway or that new boat to show up. You weren't anticipating it, but it was there, and you're, you're hit with this sin. It comes out of nowhere. And it's not even limited. We sometimes think this is the sin of prosperity, you know, that because we've got stuff, that your stuff is better than my stuff, and so I'm coveting your stuff. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that even in poverty, When your neighbor experiences any sort of success, the response of coveting is our natural response. Just like a little boy coveting the plastic power wheels for the neighbor. And even in ministry, it's easy for pastors and church members, for that matter, to covet the better church, the bigger budget, Etc., etc., etc. You don't even have to have a real tangible thing to drive coveting. You can covet an idea. Early in ministry, we were going through a particularly challenging season, and I started coveting something better. I didn't have something better in mind. I just wanted something better, something that was better than the situation that I was in. And so in my mind, I had constructed this this better thing. It was undefinable. It was amorphous. I couldn't grab it. I couldn't reach out and hold it. And so the Lord took us on quite a journey to teach us something about contentment. I had interviewed with a church over the phone that, uh, that was in of all places, the state of Wyoming. Now, I had in my mind a picture of Yellowstone National Park, you know, animals and trees and geysers and all those sort of things. And so I said, this will be great. They said, we want to meet you, fly you out here. And so I had this idea of what it would be like. And so we flew to Wyoming in March And we landed in the most God-forsaken airport on the face of the planet. There were piles of snow that were taller than our building. I looked at my wife. I said, dear God, we've landed on the moon. (laughs) And there in a great big suburban, about 20 years old suburban, was a family from Georgia of all places, that met to pick us up. And they drove us across this barren landscape in the middle of Wyoming to no man's land. (laughs) They put us in a hotel, that had cinder block walls. I'm pretty sure you could rent it by the hour, I'm not completely certain though. (laughs) I said, oh my, oh my. And the Lord took us on a trip to teach us something about contentment. It was just an idea. It was an idea that I had, but it wasn't satisfying. Because the thing is, is that coveting can never be satisfied. The the reason for this is, is simple. Coveting comes from a place inside of us that it's driven by something even deeper than our thoughts. It's driven by our motives. Because what are the motives behind coveting? It's quite simple it's idolatry of self and a lack of trust in God. The, the motivation behind coveting is the idolatry of the self and a lack of trust in God. Uh, I deserve the promotion more than my coworker. That's the conversation you have. I deserve it. Why did they get it? I deserve the boat, the camper, the perfect marriage. For crying out loud, I deserve the better mattress. I deserve the better church. I deserve the better situation. I deserve the better circumstance. I deserve the bigger fishbowl. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make the paths straight when we allow the sin of coveting to take hold then we are demonstrating within our minds that our trust is not in the lord and we are pursuing our own understanding ladies and gentlemen this is a recipe for disaster you see, if our motivation is birthed out of an unhealthy love for self, then at what point can we say we've arrived? If, if it's about me, and I, let's say I achieve the goal of my coveting, my neighbor's got a camper, I got a bigger camper. Well, what do I do when I go to the campground, and there's an even bigger camper? It's never satisfied. Well, this is all I need. This, is, this, is, this settles it. They've done studies on lottery winners, people who win big jackpots. And one of the consistent findings that they have in these studies is that people who win these big jackpots, they may be financially set for a while, but they're never satisfied. They're not happy. They're, if you've won the lottery and you're not happy, maybe you can try to help me be happy, you know, and you know. They're not happy. They're, they're, they're not satisfied. They've they've scratched an itch. They've They've paid off their mortgage. They've bought the sports car. But they're not happy. Because the idol of self is never truly satisfied. You see, when we begin to think about all the things we think we deserve, we likely miss what we truly deserve. The Bible makes it very clear. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is is not the better house, the the better camper, the better boat, the better job, the better church. That's not the wages of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's only by God's grace that we have anything good. So the question this morning is this. How do we kill the sin of coveting? How do we rid something from our hearts that can hit us like out of the blue? How do we eliminate that that thing that attacks us when we weren't even looking to be attacked? How can we rid ourselves of this thing that hits us when we're just driving through our neighborhood and notice that the neighbor's got something new? How do we eliminate that sin? First, we seek the kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. What is he, what's he saying here? Seek first the kingdom of God? What is, this a, what is he talking about here? This is a declaration of trust. When we seek the kingdom, we are declaring that our trust is in its king. And we trust the king to take care of us. We trust the king to rule over us in a way that is benefiting to us. We trust the king. So we seek the kingdom. And if the Lord allows us to have a boat, well, thanks be to God. You heard about the preacher that bought the bass boat? He named it Visitation, told the secretary when somebody calls Tell them the preacher's out on visitation. (laughs) We seek the kingdom. And God is gracious. He allows us to have things. He allows us to he, He gives people wealth so they can be blessings to others. God is good in that. But we first seek the kingdom. We don't first seek our own desires, our own, our own wherewithal. We don't do that first. We seek the kingdom. Secondly, we pursue contentment. You know, the Apostle Paul had a challenging life. None of us would look at Paul's life and say, man, he's got it good. He goes through in a couple of places some of his trials. He'd been beaten, stoned, snake bit, shipwrecked, persecuted, abandoned, blinded. He'd had a rough go. None of y'all have had it that bad. Uh, You know, when you've been snake-beat and stoned, then we'll talk. But none of us have have been there before, at least not, not like Paul. But listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any, in every circumstance. I've learned the secret of, of facing plenty. I've learned the secret of facing hunger. I've learned the secret of abundance. I've learned the secret of facing need. And then, verse 13. You know what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think it's interesting that we use Philippians 4.13 as a proof text. You know, that's what what the football team quotes before they go out to to face their opponent. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's going to give us the victory because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying here is that we can face any circumstance in his strength and not our own. It doesn't matter what our circumstance is. It could be the worst circumstance you can imagine. But guess what? You can do it. Why? Because Christ strengthens you. That means that if you were at the bottom of your life without a dime left of your name, You can face it because Christ strengthens you. That means you can can get the monopoly bank error in your favor and collect X number of dollars. You celebrate. Woo! Bank made a mistake. I got money. Good. You can do it. You can face it because it's Christ who strengthens you. This is not a suggestion that we conquer the world. It is in its context telling us that Christ helps us be content with whatever our status is in life. That doesn't mean we don't seek to better ourselves. But it does mean that we don't allow sin and discontent to drive us into unhealthy places. We have to learn to cultivate and pursue contentment. And finally, if we're going to beat the sin of covetousness, we have to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, the apostle says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And then simply he says this, and be Thankful. Well, thankful for what? <laughs> he doesn't say. Be thankful. We we like to associate thanks with specific things. And Colossians is telling us here that thankfulness is not necessarily tied to specific items or specific things that we can count, but that thankfulness is an attitude that's cultivated so that if things are going great. Well, thanks be to God. If things aren't going so great, like when James tells us to consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, the only way you can consider it joy is if there is built into you an attitude of thankfulness. Well, how does that attitude of thankfulness develop? When we realize what we deserve. And we understand what we got. I deserve death. I deserve hell. I deserve eternal separation from God. Why? (laughs) I broke some commandments in my day. Probably won't get through this day without messing up on one or two of them. It's what I deserve. What I get, I got adopted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I, I was I was given eternal life. My unrighteousness was exchanged for the righteousness of Jesus, his perfect righteousness. He has looked at me and he has declared me not guilty. That's what I got. I didn't get what I deserved. I got something infinitely better. And when we recognize that, then we read Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, and it says, Be thankful. And you have to say, Absolutely. So I may not have the biggest house, the nicest car, the, the, the biggest boat. I may not have all the stuff that I'm supposed to have to be happy, right? That's okay. I got what I didn't deserve, and I didn't get what I did deserve. Ultimately, we have to answer a question, and it is the answer to this question that will help us drive out the sin of covetousness. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what does it profit a man? What good is it if you can gain it all, if you can gain the whole world, yet lose your soul in the process? How we answer that will determine what we do with the 10th commandment. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.